television on wheels snaps on. There is a moment of snow before the video begins, and then I am suddenly transported back in time. We're all there, so young and full of life. You know, breaking into an abandoned arcade is not exactly my idea of a fun Friday night, my friend Tracy says while rubbing her arms rapidly as I stand on an overturned trash can trying to open a small bathroom window. Really? What's wrong with you? Laughs Zach from behind the palm-sized camera he uses to record the whole adventure. And it's cold out here, Tracy whines. Catch, I say, throwing her my gray zip-up hoodie. Tracy is not amused. Zack says, and then pans over to her sitting on a broken curb, looking annoyed. Eli, the fourth member of our party, shouts from out of frame. So you guys gonna keep dicking around with that camera, or do you wanna go inside? Zack pans over to Eli, who is grinning like a Cheshire cat. I'm working on it! I shout from my position. Eli, still in the frame, smiles again and says, Okay, well, we can just wait around for Houdini's stunt double over there to pick that lock all night, or we can walk in the front door. The choice is yours. It's locked, smartass, Tracy fires back. Is it? Eli asks and walks over to the front door, which when we arrived was chained and padlocked shut, but now swings wide open. A collective gasp rises from everyone. Eli smiles wider and says, I guess we didn't look hard enough when we pulled in. No, I checked that lock myself, I say, climbing down from the trash can. It was secure. I'm not just jiggling a bathroom window for my fucking health. Eli puts his hands up in front of his chest in surrender, palms out. Settle down, Lori, he says. Look, the chain's on the ground now. It was probably just super rusted and fell off while you were shaking the window. I walk over to him, still looking skeptical, and the camera follows me. I examine the chains lying in front of the door. They don't? Look broken, I say. And why did the doors just swing open? Who padlocks unlocked doors, I add, looking confused. I don't like this, you guys. Maybe we should just go, Tracy says, clearly unsettled. Come on, Lori, Eli presses. But Zach cuts him off, remembering something quickly. They took out all the games a couple of years ago. The owner sold them to one of those vintage arcade places, Maybe the people who went in and got them forgot to turn the lock, he says. Yeah, and maybe we should just all go home, Tracy adds. I don't feel like being murdered by meth heads tonight. And the sound of her feet can be heard walking towards the car. Come on, guys, Eli says. We've come this far and the door is open. It's a sign. We have to go in. None of us can really argue with this logic, and so we all slowly walk into the ominous space. Through the lens of the camera, you can see the cavernous and industrial rooms in front of us. Obviously, the old fluorescent lights aren't working, so we light up the place as best as we can with cell phones and a couple of camping flashlights. It looks like a horror movie, I say, walking in and out of the frame. Well, this place doesn't exactly have a happy history, Eli says a little too casually, and a chorus of what echoes all around him. A smile curls back over his lips. He knows we're hooked. Zach pans over to Tracy, who is nervously tugging on her hair before turning back to Eli, who is clearly launching into a story. I mean, you guys all know about the murders that happened here, right? Clearly we do not. Oh, come on, nobody, he says, 
Through stunned laughter, Shut up, Eli, Tracy says, clearly terrified at this point. You look ready to monologue, I say. So get it out of your system now so we can keep going. Oh, all right, if you insist, Eli says, clearly delighted. In the early 90s, one of the security guards who worked here caught his wife cheating on him with the guy who operated Rory the Rat's rock revolution, and then he totally snapped. Oh, excuse me, I say. Rory the who's what? Eli begins. I guess you guys didn't read the email I sent you all. In the 80s, a bunch of these places cropped up. They tried to be like a Disneyland light with a bunch of video games and a maze of plastic tunnels that landed into a ball pit, terrible pizza, and five half-baked animatronic animal people who formed some kind of country band. The band performed every hour to masses of terrified children smeared in pizza and ball pit germs and a bunch of overwhelmed parents. Rory the Rat was this place's mascot, and Rory and his band were operated from a booth in the back of this room. So that night, one of the security guards was supposed to be off, and he told his wife that he was going to go play poker with his friends, which he did. But halfway through the evening, he got called in. When he got there, Rory's show was playing on a loop, and the people there were quite confused, because the whole thing is pretty loud. So the guard goes into the booth to see what was going on, and there, he found his wife and the animatronics operator with their pants down. His wife immediately ran home, but the guard finished his shift. And then when he returned home later that evening, he laid down on the couch, not wanting to face his wife. But he couldn't sleep, so he sat, hour after hour. As the sun rose, he calmly walked into the garage, picked up his sledgehammer, walked back into his house, into his bedroom, and smashed his wife's head in. Then he took a shower, changed his clothes, and went back to work as he had been scheduled to do the next morning, to work a double. All day long, the guards stared at the booth, knowing the man in there had ruined his marriage and made him kill his wife. That night, during Rory the Rat's last performance, the security guard slipped outside for a cigarette. Then he grabbed the sledgehammer out of his car, walked back in the building, into the booth and murdered his wife's... What's the man form of mistress? Is it manstress? Mister? Whatever. He emerged from the booth covered in blood, walked past a group of terrified children, right up to old Rory the Rat, and smacked his head off with a sledgehammer. Then he turned to his captive audience with a dead-eyed stare, and all the kids began screaming. The other guards tried to stop him, but he swung the hammer over his head and caved in their skulls. Then, he picked up Rory's disembodied head, yanked the mechanics out of it, and put it on like a Halloween mask, then ran into the woods. After that night, a strange, angry figure covered in blood, dragging a sledgehammer and wearing Rory the Rat's hollowed-out head began appearing in the parking lot after closing time. If anyone parked in the lot after hours, and mostly it was just kids trying to fool around in their cars, Rory would go after them with his sledgehammer. They say the original guard died in a struggle with a group of kids, and the head possessed the one who picked it up last. They say that every time a new incident occurs, the head chooses a new host. Well done, I say, exasperated. Are you finished? I think Tracy had a stroke. Tracy whimpers in the distance while the camera walks over towards a small stage. When it gets closer, you can see five silhouettes frozen in time and space. One of them is headless. 
Holy shit, Zack says. And then much louder, he continues. Guys, get over here. You won't believe what I found. Footsteps scatter over the floor like a bag of marbles, and the camera zooms in on a band of half-decomposed animatronic rat people. One has pigtails and fiery pink cheeks. One has a blue mohawk. One is bigger than the rest with sleepy eyes and a bird on his shoulder. One sits behind a drum kit wearing a spiked collar, and the fifth one is standing at the front with a microphone. But he's missing his head. Holy shit, Eli says. I told you, I fucking told you. And we all marvel at what we are actually looking at. We have to take one, Zach says. Tracy and I protest, but Eli enthusiastically agrees. The boys decide they want Rory. Zach sits the camera on top of the Sunday bar, facing the stage still on, and we all cautiously approach the grimacing creatures. Well, all of us except Tracy, who could not be persuaded. Next to the stage, there is a maroon polo shirt with a gold name tag hung on a hook. Zach examines the name tag. Poor Linda, he says, and we all take in the creatures before us. How many country bears had to die to make these things, Linda? I say poking the half-melted head of the one with the pigtails. It's like a boardwalk-stuffed animal Voltron. They don't fit together right because they're all off-brand forms and are stuffed with styrofoam beans, Zack says, standing next to the big one with the bird on its shoulder. The fur has been coming away from its body in places, and it's missing its bottom jaw. Is this some kind of 80s animatronic golem? Let's make it pants my stepbrother Randy, Eli laughs while throwing his arm around the one with the mohawk. I think mine ate some of the Hall of Presidents lesser knowns, Zack says, poking the exposed mechanical upper jaw of the giant creature. Eh, nobody's missing Taft anyway. Are they from the obscure 80s Jim Henson Christmas special, Three Mile Island of Misfit Toys? I say, pretty proud of myself. The boys start trying to pry Rory off his pedestal while I walk slowly around observing the other members of the animal band. I touch the drum player and his whole hand comes off in mine. Protruding from the wrist socket is what appears to be a bone. I examined the separated part of the hand, and sure enough, there's the rest of the wrist joint. Shit, I say quietly. And just then, the boys pull something in Rory loose. He breaks in half at the waist, exposing the white segments of a spinal column. Shit, the boys say, and we lock eyes simultaneously while realizing we're all in over our heads. Just then, from off camera, there is a scream followed by a crack. All of our faces go slack with unseen horror. We run in different directions, but the camera stays pointed at the stage. All you can hear at this point is screaming and labored breathing. When the chaos dies down, a figure lurches into the frame. Its clothing is filthy. It's soaked in blood, both old and new. Its head is shrouded in the hollow mask of what used to be Rory the Rat, and it is dragging Tracy's lifeless body by the hair. Her face caved in on itself. He props her up on the bottom of Rory's remaining torso, then turns around to face the camera. Rory's empty eyes look black in the dark, but the glow of a dropped flashlight catches the smaller eyes inside. They glitter quickly and then move away. The figure trudges off camera and back two more times with two more bodies, that of Zack and Eli, who are placed next to the characters they cracked jokes about. Rory the Rat then notices the drum kit and the missing hand, he cocks his head slowly to one side, like Michael Myers admiring a fresh kill. And then the camera swooshes backwards and goes dark. Rapid footsteps are the only thing that can be heard for a little while, followed by a car starting, and then the picture returns. 
The camera slides backwards down the dashboard while just catching the upside-down image of Rory the Rat's blood-soaked, plastic, fur-covered head in the side-view mirror, running after the car. There is a loud thump, and then everything turns to static. And when is the last time you saw this video? The detective asks me. This is the first time I've seen it. Where did you find it? I ask, knowing it was taken nearly 10 years ago. In the drum kit, the detective says, reaching into a cardboard box and pulling out a flimsy gray zip-up hoodie covered in rust-colored stains. With this, my eyes sting with recognition for a moment, and I see the sledgehammer propped against the table. More evidence. And did you catch the guy? I ask, my voice shaking. That's the thing, the officer says, pulling out Rory's head from the box and staring into its empty eyes. All the DNA we found inside the rat head belonged to you. The hammer glints in the corner. I draw a quick breath and the officer's eyes begin to change. I'm sorry, I whisper as he slips on the head and I slowly back out the door, ignoring the screams that erupt behind me. I'm Holly, I'm Leslie, and we would be dead. goodness. Well, they're not real animals. Or were they? Who knows? They're that scary Chuck E. Cheese band that I watched several videos of, and you said you watched a lot of videos. I did, yeah. Like the family band. <laughs> they're all very uncomfortable. They are very uncomfortable mm-hmm. to watch. They look like they're way too into it, or like just dead puppets. <laughs> yeah. There was also, um, so one of the original uh, Chuck E. Cheese animatronics was mm-hmm. like Helen the Hen okay. or Hel- Helen Hen. I forget. They gave her a name that was supposed to be like whatever famous like yeah. kind of country-ish folk singer of the day okay. was. And um, so that would have been like in the 70s. But she was probably the most normal looking, like the the mm-hmm. cutest of them. She had like cute brown hair. Okay. And then just like looked like a like a duck. Like she actually yes. she was cute and she had like a little banjo or something. Well then they once they you know how they had them in the walls? Yes. For a while. They were on like frames on the yeah. walls. Then they took them down and had them as like actual characters. Yeah. And they moved her. They got rid of her and like changed her up a bit. Mm-hmm. And made her like the scariest looking hen thing <laughs> I've ever seen and threw her in her own separate room where she like played music and was trying to be kind of like hippie-esque. I don't know. It was weird they and had terrifying. All those, but... Well, we don't really talk about the, all the Chuck E. Cheese entertainment. I just yeah. go pretty general. But they did, in the original Chuck E. Cheese's, have like breakout cabaret rooms where they yeah. had like one act. One was like a hippo that played mm-hmm. the piano and sang standards. Yeah. <laughs> they went off 
I know. With their animatronics. It was wild. It was wild. Yeah. And that's funny because I don't even talk about their, like, them being in picture frames at first. But that, I find that to be so unsettling. I know. Well, they wanted, so the idea was that if they were in the picture frames around the walls, Mm -hmm. anybody in the room would have a good viewing of the act that was happening. Yeah, not that it was like this terrifying thing in the wall that came to life. Yeah. Or like Chuck E. Cheese with like a cigar in his mouth. I love that one. That so meme funny. was really fun. Yeah. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, he had a, had a big cigar. That's not yeah. mentioned anywhere. Like, no. definitely. Like, once in a while. Then not all of them. They changed them. There there were variations. Well, the first actor that played him played him as, like, a rough-talking yeah, rap yeah, from yeah. Jersey, which yeah. I love and should have stayed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very upset that we got the Bowling for Soup <laughs> guy know. or whatever. I know. It's so funny. But um, back to your intro. Yeah. I 100% would have been Tracy. Up until she died, I would not have died. You wouldn't have stayed behind when other people were all, like, 10 feet away doing something else. No, she was an idiot. She was just, like, the whiny friend. It's fun because I... (laughs) Sometimes I give myself, like, little prompts to start writing these stories because I write so many of them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it gets hard to, like, what am I going to pick apart? How am I going to make this a story? How is it not going to be a story I've already told? And this one, I just imagined walking into this like place this abandoned Chuck E. Cheese and finding these animatronics or the or in my brain at first it was just one I didn't know if someone was gonna like be auctioning it off and get it and have it in their apartment and they opened it up or something that was the other premise I was toying around with but all I did was write the jokes that I tell about (laughs) them the one that was like, are they from a Jim Henson special called Three Mile Island of Misfit Toys? Right. It was just those. That's what I wrote. And then I was right. like, what am I going to do with these? Right. <laughs> oh. That's really funny. Yep. Sometimes it's sometimes the process is weird. And that was this week. That's and funny. they took me hours to write. Yeah. Just those jokes took forever because I have like, I'm very like professionistic when it yeah. comes to writing jokes like they have to be worded perfectly well you don't get to like shop them around town first no, I you don't. have to have them perfect <laughs> yeah. today and also <laughs> like it with for things to be funny and i don't want to talk about the science of things being funny they also have to sound funny so the words have to be yeah. appropriate or they don't land right exactly so i'll just sit there and fuck with three words for hours yeah well that's why i give you your space thank you we can only do one a week <laughs> Oh, Sometimes God, I would die. one every two weeks. The, every now and then it's one every... That's going to not be as as often now that the kids are going to go back to school. It's okay, Holly. You don't need to apologize. I need to hear that sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> we're allowed to talk about this week. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. Oh, boy, we have some creepy stuff today. We sure do. At least it creeped me out to look at it. Oh, for the past couple months, we've been selecting a lot of requests. I think we've done a good job filling a lot of those slots, and we will continue to do that. But today's story comes right from an experience in my real life. And as it turns out, also in Leslie's real life. Mm. My eight-year-old son has been having awful Five Nights at Freddy's nightmares. Oh, no. After seeing some gameplay on a YouTube video, I think after watching some myself, that it's somebody he normally watches just play Minecraft and Mm -hmm. he happened to also play this game. And it took him forever to even tell us what he's afraid of. Like, he's been waking up in the middle of the night, super scared, needs someone to fall back asleep with him. So I was like, okay, I want to see what this is. And this is not my first Five Nights at Freddy's rodeo. Violet had nightmares about the bear, too. 
Right. When anytime like a little kid sees it, it's terrifying. I to mean, them. you don't have to be a little kid to That's be true. terrified because I also was. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I get it. It's very, it's scary. And it's also thrives on like startling you, mm-hmm. which makes you totally on guard all the time. Right. And that's scary. Um, And you said like your kids had moments with it too. Well, I actually, so I actually think that my, I don't know that both of them played it, but okay. at least my older son does. And he has been scared of things in the past. Right. And he's he's my, like, cautious son. Yeah. And uh, I feel like Five Nights at Freddy, I thought, would be something that would terrify him. Right. And he just jumped in. He All loved right. it. Great. So I think it was, like, the one game where he was just like, it's about nightmares, so I got this. There you go. And I was like, okay, but I'm not, I don't want to watch you play. This is scary. <laughs> Well, yeah, I had a little experience with it from my kids being afraid of it. So when I saw that this, like, nightmare had reared its ugly head once more, I took it as a sign to tell the terrible true story of the 1993 Chuck E. Cheese massacre and explore the grim truth behind the nightmares. Now, I continually tell my kids all this stuff is just made up, but plot twist, not exactly. Mm. Are they exactly like the game, the true stories? No, but they're pretty twisted all the same. Now, because my kid has to sleep in my bed all the time, and this <laughs> makes my puppy super excited and bark at four o'clock in the morning, which then the cat hears and comes in and lays on my chest all 20 pounds of her, I haven't been getting a whole lot of sleep recently. Oh, man. Yeah. Which can leave me looking rather like a haunted animatronic doll myself. You do. I yeah. Know. It's awful. Yeah. That's why I'm wearing these glasses so you can't see my terrifying eyes. Oh, my God. You're uncanny valley. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Leslie. You you were pretty sleep-deprived recently, too, weren't you? Oh, my God. Three days. No sleep. You just didn't sleep. No. I you don't know what was going. up. I think you slept a total of five hours last week. I did. Yeah. So I keep trying to figure out, like, what I need to sacrifice in order to reclaim my youthful lack of under-eye circles or, you know, a.k.a. creepy animatronic eyes. Right. To stay on theme this mm-hmm. week. But mm-hmm. as it turns out, sacrifices are difficult and messy. And sometimes illegal. And you know what? You're right. Sometimes, most most of the time, they're <laughs> illegal. <laughs> and I don't like any of those things. Mm. So I thought I might try another solution. And this okay. one's a lot easier to obtain. Okay. And more legal. Uh-huh. uh-huh. It's a nice cooling eye mask soaked in... Validation. A hill worth dying on. Lovely. Thank you. And wouldn't you know it, our fiends can provide us with this secret ingredient. Oh, tell so me lucky. more. Yeah, but how? You must be asking yourself over there. Yeah, I am. I can tell. Every week, I'm like, oh my God, tell me how. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only thing that can move this podcast forward. And we work really hard, you guys. I think we deserve to move a little bit forward, don't you? Yeah. Like I always say, you never want to go backwards. Mm-mm. It's not healthy for anybody. No. Unless you're on a roller coaster and then sometimes you do. Yeah. But even that's really scary. Even then, yeah. It makes you very disoriented. So maybe don't do it. Mm-hmm. But more success for us means <laughs> more content for you. And that's what we all really want in the end, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. And if you find that you really want more content and you want it right now, you can support us over on Patreon. There, for just a few dollars a month, you will get access to our extra minisodes, our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, which we really do need to update soon. And I think we're going to do something with the movie um, in the next week or so. It's, Stop promising things. I think. 
<laughs> I said think. I didn't say definitely, but I really want to do this. You're making me nervous. No, I told you I want to do a watch party. I know. So oh, yeah, that's easy. To, exactly. That's easier. Yeah. Okay. But our, but if you want to have a watch party on um the movie, what's the Nick Cage movie with mascots? Willy's Wonderland, I think. Yeah. We want to watch that because it is based in all of this stuff. And it's wild looking and Nick Cage is in it. So if you're a patron and you want to watch it with us, keep your eyes open for that. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that. It's, I think that'd be really fun. Yeah. And, and if any of you have suggestions on to how to do a watch party for that movie, please let us know. Yeah, we're going to have to figure <laughs> that part out. Too. Yeah, I think but I, I know ideas. it can be done. It can be. I, so, I, I have ideas. You, you, I got this. All right. You do the tech part. <laughs> I'll just keep having ideas. Cool. Great. <laughs> You, as a patron, will also gain access to our weekly after show, which is both video and audio formatted now, and it's called Host Mortem. It's really fun. Um, it's fun, and also we're, like, kind of delirious at half of them because it's really late at night, so mm-hmm. we talk about some wild stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You'll also get some special gifts in the mail, the opportunity to enter some special giveaways, an on-air toast dedicated just to you, and more. And if all of that is too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod everywhere and anywhere. You can like our content, share our content, like and share our content. Ooh. Yeah, do both. That's great. Throw us a comment. Participate in a conversation. Post about your favorite episode. Tell us when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell your rich friend who had got to have their birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese in the 90s because when I was a kid, that was for rich kids. That sure was. Right? Yeah. Whitney. You were like there before I even asked. Yeah. I love it. That is their name. So tell your friends and Whitney who will invite you to our Chuck E. Cheese party, we hope. And then we can all hang out together. And I think that's all I have for this week. I think it was unintentionally a lot. <laughs> yeah. Le- Leslie, do you have anything to add, though? You might. <laughs> I'm excited that there's a possibility. Do you have anything to add before we begin? Well, guys, fiends, <gasps> I just learned something really fun that I feel like I should just share. Now, oh I don't God. have, like, the extensive knowledge on it, so you can do your own research about it. But I'm going to give yeah, you some information. Just us to it. I listened to a podcast recently okay. about the wonderful world of algae. What yeah. podcast were you Great. listening it was to? A health, it was like a health and wellness podcast. Okay. With uh, Cynthia, Cynthia Thurlow. She's a nurse practitioner. Okay. Anyway, so she had this doctor on who was talking about spirulina and yeah. algae, and which spirulina is a form of algae. And she was saying how spirulina in and of itself is like a... You know how, like, if you're ever... I just want one tablet to take care of everything. Yeah, that'd I be great. I want to get my vegetables in. I want all of my multivitamins sure. and every other supplement that I'm supposed to take. It's because implying that like I take vitamins, but yep. or anything. <laughs> exactly. But you're just like, I wish there was just a one fit all, right? Yeah. So that's what this is. And apparently, I didn't really realize this, but spirulina or like other forms of algae too are because they're actual food, mm. like food food. And like spirulina itself can be grown like on a far- an algae farm, so you potentially could supplement your meal with just this. I don't think I ever would do that. No, but some people gross. do because okay. it would be like a detoxing thing okay. or just the health hey man, thing. Live your life. And and um, it works really well for uh, people dealing with um, maybe if they have certain diets they have to watch out for, like like uh, if they're going through chemo or something like okay. that. There's like some really good health benefits to it. Great, but um, 
Yeah, I learned that it's because spirulina we use like in our skincare product, the shore soap. So it's great for like hair and skin and nails. And then also inside the body. Give me those products. It helps with like energy and focus. And then a certain amount that you could take, like you really can't overdose on it, which is amazing. So like you could get all of your sources. Get out to that pond. Eat up that algae. Yeah. You'll be great. No, it's not at the pond. It's not the same one. It's like at a farm. Get out to that farm. But you can just get tablets of it. All right, fine. <laughs> you can put Don't it, go you out can put and eat the pond stuff. In your water. You can take tablets. But I think I'm going to do it because I've been like looking at all these supplements to take. And it's so expensive to it's have like very expensive. 11 bottles on your counter for the whole family. And oh, now I'm like, I can just have one bag of something. Supposed to and it has protein D. in it. So like if you're vegan or not vegan or keto or paleo or just a carnivore. And you don't want to spontaneously combust, take your algae pills. Absolutely. That's that's the that's the through line. Yeah. There you go. So perfect. Thank you for that. See, you I did just, have something. I was spreading the good you news. Just, just knew so much and you just had to share it with people. <laughs> full of good information. Perfect. All right then. On with the show. I'm so good at segues. All right, let's get into this. All right. Well, it's probably no secret that I love fiction. That's why, unlike other podcasts whose writers can probably go more than a few hours without daydreaming, We Would Be Dead gives you a full, almost always, fictional short story at the beginning of every episode. It's because I can't help myself. I have journals upon journals full of fiction writing that have never seen the light of day. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So something I've learned over the years is that even the most fantastical of stories has a tiny grain of truth embedded somewhere in its walls. Sometimes the truth is big, as in the story itself is true, but it's been reset in space or long, long ago and far, far away. And sometimes it's as small as just a character's name or as abstract as a feeling we use story to explain. But it's always there, anchoring the safety and skepticism of that could never happen, with an invisible familiarity that we can't put our finger on, but is strong enough to whisper, maybe it could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how you know it's good fiction, because you can drop into it, which can be blissful or terrifying, depending on what you like to consume. And I think we all know where you guys stand, because you're still here. So, truth. You read some scary shit. It's fine. I don't. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I give do. it to you every week. <laughs> I read it aloud to you every week after I write it based on a series of jokes. (laughs) So this week we're going to do one of my favorite things, and that is to take a crazy story and uncover where the based on meets the true. And because it has been half researched and on my like shelf for a while, um, because my son has been able to fall asleep for weeks, this week we are talking about the very intricately woven lore of the popular horror game Five Nights at Freddy's and the true story of the 1993 Aurora, Colorado, yes, that Aurora, Chuck E. Cheese massacre. Don't worry, even though it is, it strongly sounds like we will be discussing a whole bunch of murdered children, we will not. Mm-hmm. Good to know right away, right? Yes, yeah. Thank you. The shooting was definitely tragic and horrible, but it happened after hours, and the OG Pizza Rod himself wasn't even involved. So don't worry, there are plenty of eerie similarities, but I'm not going to ruin your life. Hmm. Not today. So, though the creators of FNAF, as the youths call it, yes, 
uh, do not openly confirm using the Chuck E. Cheese incident as an inspiration because who would admit that? <laughs> it's terrible. When you look at the facts, it's pretty hard to imagine that they didn't at least hear of it. Tons of other educated folks cite this event as a reference and inspiration for the game's framework. But in order to stay safe and legal, we're going to insert the true crime get out of jail free card allegedly Okay. when necessary. Ultimately, we'll provide all the facts and let you guys decide. All right, then. Let's start with a little history. Since the game's setting, Freddy Fazbear's or Fazbear, people pronounce it differently. Freddy Fazbear's Pizza is the name of it, is a family pizza joint with anthropomorphic animatronic animal performers. That's fun to say. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy to see that it was modeled off the early versions of Chuck E. Cheese. Right. <laughs> like, clearly. And the lesser known showbiz pizza place. This has, of course, been confirmed by the game's creator, Scott Cawthorn, so no allegedlies are necessary just yet. That is true. Freddy is based on Chuck E. Cheese and the animated band. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving forward. Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater, mm. as it was first known as a cumbersome moniker, if ever I've heard one, was founded by uh, Atari founder Nolan Bushnell, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Up until this point in time, Arcade games were only available in adult-driven businesses like pool halls and bars. Uh, and Nolan thought that it might make good business sense to put them somewhere where children had access to them, which yeah. that's incredibly smart. Uh, and I can't imagine a world where video arcade games only lived in bars and stuff, but that was like the late 70s. That's where they were. Right. So every 80s arcade and beyond, thanks uh, Nolan Bushnell for this. <laughs> basically. And I didn't know we had Chuck E. Cheese to thank, basically, for arcades. Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't know either. I, I found that to be, like, pretty enlightening. So I yeah. thought I'd share it. Although, I don't know. Maybe some of you have your kids hanging out in bars playing Donkey Kong. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know your life. You do what Sound, you gotta do. Sounds fun. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> Nolan brought with him two things that are vital to this story. And the first is a resume filled with theme park experience and a fondness for Disneyland's country bear jamboree. Ooh, so cute. Mm -hmm. I find it unsettling. <laughs> it's an attraction at the park which features a stage show of animatronic bears and wall-mounted taxidermy heads who perform a country music review. How could that go wrong? Not scary at all, right? <laughs> Lord. The second was a comprehensive knowledge of video games, which were really in their infancy at this point in time. Not everybody had a gaming system in their house. This is 1977 when the first Chuck E. Cheese is being created. So having more of a comprehensive knowledge of it would, would be something not everybody in the world had. Mm -hmm. So, with all of this together in Nolan's head rolling around, he created a concept for something he called Pizza Time Theater, a place where families could gather, host children's birthday parties, or just generally have something to do with the kids on a Saturday afternoon. There would be pizza, video games, a few indoor rides, and a small stage with animatronic performers who put on a show once an hour. Nolan said, quote, it was my pet project. I chose pizza because of the wait time and the build schedule. Very few components and not too many ways to screw it up. Smart guy. I mean, you definitely can screw up pizza. Mm -hmm. Like, you definitely can. But I see what he's saying. Right. And for the record, Chuck E. Cheese does not make pizza. They basically heat up pizza on a conveyor belt. So, yes, it was very quick and dirty and easy. Right. Um, Is that how they started? You think? I, or I they think probably so. were making it. I don't know that they had a pizza oven in there. Oh, <laughs> It was like a conveyor belt system to keep right. them up. Oh, yeah. Like they do at like bowling alleys yes, now, too. Yes, exactly like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't like they had a brick oven pizza yeah. thing in the back. I always, every time I go bowling, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's get a pizza. 
And then every time I'm like, this Ew. is disgusting. And I always forget. Yeah. Every, I'm like, wait. No, never do that. I remember I finally watched them make it one time mm-hmm. and that at least helped me because I visually saw them just pull out a thing. I was like, why am I paying for this? I have that for $5 at home. Yeah. At Chuck E. Cheese, it was a <laughs> rapid production thing and you're mostly serving it to kids. So yeah. kids are just going to be like, pizza, blah, and yeah. not, not care. So that's, <laughs> it makes sense business-wise. I see what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So how do we end up with the rat? An unlikely mascot, if ever I've heard one. You're not like, you know what's a great thing for kids? Rats. Yeah. (laughs) Well, originally, Pizza Time Theater's robot band was supposed to be headed up by a coyote. Oh. Yeah, but as it turns out, the costume Nolan bought for this coyote actually was a rat. Oh, Oh, no. Sorry. And buying another costume, I guess, was totally out of the question. Yeah, you just go with what When you're the owner of Atari. Yeah. But I can't tell you why that is never mentioned as an option, but I guess it wasn't. So instead, Nolan just rolled with the punches and said they would rebrand as Rick Rat Pizza. Yum. To which marketing said, no. What? No. What? No. So they clearly did not have, like, the foresight for, like, Pizza Rat. They didn't. None of us did. Who knew Pizza Rat was going to take the world by storm? I know. Well, I mean, you don't think people want to take their kids to Rick Rat Pizza for a nice birthday party? Sounds nice. Does it? (laughs) Of course they don't. Rick Rat sounds like either he's a mobster who chews off earlobes and testicles or the touring drummer for the Sex Pistols. Neither of which are family friendly. No, they're all gross and greasy. and Mm -hmm, It's probably filthy in there. Yeah. (laughs) Food is served on newspapers. It's terrible. So they pivoted and suggested he try maybe, I don't know, Chuck E. Cheese instead. Okay, he just jumped right in. He didn't. Marketing was like, this is a better name. You you can't be trusted anymore. Yeah, well, that's why you have a marketing team. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I suspect Nolan responded with like, okay, fine. But like, probably was a little disappointed because Rick Rat would have been great. Yeah. I can't. There had to have been somebody that was like, but it'll be Chuck E. Cheese. Mm -hmm, Because his name is Charles Entertainment Cheese. Yeah. Chuck. Oh, I love it. Somebody on marketing was like, guys, let's guys, give him a really complicated name. A second. And it's so fun. <laughs> All right. And then they went with that. So the first Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater opened in San Jose, California in 1977. By late 79, there were seven PTT locations in uh, all of them in the, at this point in time are in California. Uh, the animatronics at this point were fully produced in-house by Pizza Time Theater employees. So they were doing everything themselves, mm-hmm. which is wild. Showbiz Pizza Place was... a uh, Exactly the same, but with different animals and was created by a man who was originally Nolan's franchising partner. Mm -hmm. So he helped him franchise Chuck E. Cheese, put it all over the country, and then said, I don't want to work with you anymore and made his own. Yeah, (laughs) that that happens so many times. It does. And it, it never ends super well either. And this is a man named Robert Brock. So as you can imagine, with Chuck E. Cheese and his pizza time theater taking the nation by storm, copycats, or in this case, copy bird, gorilla, dog, wolf, mouse, mm-hmm. polar bear, and yes, brown bear, mm-hmm. were not taken too kindly. So now, though, we do have the bear. Right. Which is also going to come back later. Okay. So obviously, these two establishments battled it out for a while for ownership of this intellectual property. And they actually went, changed hands a couple times, I think. I think Showbiz Pizza actually did win for a while and they owned both names because um, <laughs> Tari Guy went out of business because of the video game boom. Because oh, yeah. Nintendo came and like took the world by storm. So Atari Guy kind of suffered. Yeah. I know. Oh. It all it all plays in. 
He's having a bad go at it. Yeah, but then none of them were doing particularly well. And somebody else bought it all up, merged them together like Chuck E. Cheese better, and they all became Chuck E. Cheese's. Okay. So then when this happens, all the animatronic fans were altered. So mm-hmm. the gorilla and stuff were taken out and the big dumb bear. They were all altered to be fronted by Chuck E. Cheese and his friends. So eventually, the terrifying tech rats were replaced by people in costumes. That's who the most recent Chuck E. Cheese show was. It was just people, like, on a stage with a DJ dancing around. Probably way less scary. And they could dance and move around freely and didn't look like scary, disembodied things that probably ate the souls of lost children after hours. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned before we started this, the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese weren't always, like, a band on stage. They started behind, like, framed portrait, almost framing on the walls Mm -hmm. so they were like all around you yes (laughs) you couldn't escape their stare oh and don't worry if you're a showbiz showbiz pizza purist some of the original robot bands in their entirety still exist Mm -hmm. they're called the rock of fire explosion nice and they never broke up you can see them scattered across the united states in roadside attractions and one of them is in a gas station I love that. Yeah, they will lip sync to anything, by the way, because I happen to have worked in a restaurant with the exact same tech for a while. Except for ours was a skeleton that played the piano and like a creepy moose head. So it never dawned on me that they could be scary. This this particular tech could be unsettling because in our setting, it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So now when I see it in like friendly format, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, oh, wait, they didn't fix that. (laughs) No, uh uh-uh. They were still just as jerky and weird. (laughs) Yeah. And you can also control them either with a microphone, Mm -hmm. so you can make them lip sync to your voice, or a tape. Yes, Mm -hmm. a tape. Not a CD, a tape. Ours, um, like I said, they were the skeleton, the moose head. The surviving Rockafire Explosions now sing their versions of Usher and Black Eyed Peas songs with their signature repeated herky-jerky movements and dead soulless eyes. They all have the same kind of vibe as, like, the Fireys from Labyrinth, but less whimsical. hmm And yes, all the eyes have that same horrible fixed look. Five Nights at Freddy's animatronics may look like they were exaggerated to exacerbate them being scary, but I assure you, if anything, they toned it down. The, yeah, the eyes, with you. <laughs> the eyes are awful. Yeah. So... Yeah. Now that we have the history set, let's get into the game a little bit because we're going to need this for a basis of comparison. First of all, I'm not a gamer. I do not game. But now I kind of want to play this game. And maybe we should, maybe this is our, like, Twitch experience. Maybe we need to broadcast <laughs> us playing it because I have an overreactive startle reflex and and um, am terrible at gaming in general. So that'll probably make for some quality entertainment. And Leslie will no doubt be better at gaming, but you'll be no help because you'll be scared out of your mind and run away right away. I will know the yeah, I might scream, but then I will start to focus in. Oh, because you'll so, be like competitive. Yeah. So okay. then you'll be you'll probably just be talking the as as per usual, you'll just talk the whole time and you I'll just be real tech. focused. There you go. <laughs> I love it. See? I think it's a successful thing. <laughs> I'll forget anyone else was around. <laughs> That's totally fine. <laughs> I have but my cousin also offered to help us with that. <laughs> uh, is this something you guys want to see? I don't know. I might do it anyway. So let's see if it happens. We can start the video with just watching Holly try to turn on the game. Oh, it'll be a nightmare. Mm-mm. <laughs> That'll be day one. Yep. <laughs> Maybe week one. <laughs> Month one. But I digress. The game itself is so nuanced and story heavy that it's more like a choose-your-own-adventure Stephen King novel. This may show my lack of exposure to horror story games in general, so maybe you'll get to see me talk about, like, Silent Hill next or something. Who knows? Okay. 
but I'm getting ahead of myself as I always do. Five Nights at Freddy's began its life as a family-friendly video game called Chipper and Sons Lumber Company, designed by Scott Cawthorn, a Christian-oriented video game designer who had branched out of the Bible to include even heathen children in his game. <laughs> and he did this via a family of hardworking beavers. Okay. Not the angry beavers, though. No, they're not angry. They're very happy. They're okay. happy to the point where, like, their face might crack open. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. In this game, the main character, a child beaver they called Little Tyke, is sent out into the world to harvest trees and bring them to his father, Mr. Chipper, who then turns them into lumber and then they build stuff in their hijinks. Cute, right? Yeah. And the game sounds harmless enough, but it was met with some scathing reviews, mostly by YouTubers, for the unsettling appearance of the beavers. They looked a lot like scary animatronic animals with their wide, over-enthusiastic grins and unblinking eyes. They're scary-looking. They look mm -hmm. like the Five Nights at Freddy things, but, okay. like, you're trying to make them nice little storybook characters. Mm -hmm. Jim Sterling, who was apparently a famous YouTuber, good for you, Jim, called them, quote, unintentionally terrifying, which I love. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was, like, researching this week. Oh, unintentionally terrifying. Like, yeah, things. I love yeah. that concept. Something mm -hmm. that's, like, really not designed to scare you, but it cannot help but doing as much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But bearing the constitution of a real businessman, Scott Cawthorn was not deterred. Whereas you or I might be like kind of dejected and sad that your family of friendly beavers was scaring people. <laughs> Scott simply thought, well, if they look like terrifying animatronic animals, why don't I just make them that? Okay. See? Just like yeah. the Atari guy. He mm -hmm. just went with it. He just rolled with it. He got a mouse costume or a rat costume. Yeah, and he, he was, was just like, like Ricky the, the Rat, coyote. let's go. Yeah. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And he did. Okay. I mean, it worked in his favor. Yeah. We're not still like, let's play that beaver game. Yeah. <laughs> That's not yeah. happening. Maybe you are. I don't know. I don't I don't know what your likes and dislikes are. <laughs> um, so Scott pivoted using the model of Chuck E. Cheese and his band of animatronic pals, but uh, twisted. It doesn't take much to make the animatronics look sinister, though, because they're already the gatekeepers of the uncanny valley, basically. Mm -hmm. Polar Express Tom Hanks answers to them as far as I am concerned. <laughs> as for those of you who didn't listen to our Halloween episode yet, uh, first of all, shame on you. It's awesome. Go listen. Yeah, JK, it's not going anywhere. Just go listen to it later. It's fine. <laughs> but like, listen to it. It's good. Uh, but anyway, in that episode, I explained why we're scared of animatronic humanoid creatures. And it's because of a phenomenon called the uncanny valley, which, and I am quoting myself soon, which is not something I love to do, but I can at this point in time. It describes the relation between an object's degree of resemblance to a human being and the emotional response to the object. The concept suggests that humanoid objects that imperfectly resemble actual human beings provoke uncanny or strangely familiar feelings of uneasiness and revulsion in observers. Examples can be found in robotics, 3D computer animations, and lifelike dolls, which is kind of what we're dealing with here. It's like a combination of the two. They're robot dolls. Um, and in the valley has been cited in reaction to the verisimilitude of the creation as it approaches indistinguish indistinguishability from reality, which is a quote I took from somewhere because I love the word verisimilitude, which <laughs> means that things that are vaguely human, like friendly cartoon mice and princesses with unnaturally big eyes, are fine. We like them. They're far enough away. But things that are too close to human, but not... Like, I don't know, the aforementioned Polar Express people and mm, human size and shaped 
moving and singing animatronics are not fine. They are pretty scary to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. The Uncanny Valley hypothesis predicts that an entity appearing almost human, but not, will risk eliciting cold, eerie feelings in viewers. Some scientists believe that this is a biological response that is similar in feeling to a living human discovering a human corpse. It looks like a person, it's shaped like a person, but it's no longer living, and so it doesn't react like a person, which is really hard for our brains to compute. And so we feel frightened and we want to run away. Others say it is because our brain does not know what to do with faces we cannot read. And while these animatronics move in, like, to sing, they don't, you can't really read emotions on them. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of like flapping their mouth to move. And the, so our brain simply defaults to danger because we don't know what their intentions are. And this is in order to keep us safe. This is like our lizard brain going, run, it could kill you. And this is why a lot of scary movie bad guys wear masks. That unmoving face automatically makes us go, oh no, I'm scared. Right. So this is like something that if you harness it appropriately, is extremely effective when you're trying to scare people. Mm -hmm. um, so couple that with like something real that's scary and happened and you have yourself a very effective tool. Right. Yeah, so this is pretty smart. Mm -hmm. So basically, a big animatronic rat, or in this case, a bear, was always going to scare people on a biological level. And Scott Cawthorn found a way to capitalize on that instead of backing away. And thus, Freddy Fazbear and his gang of murderous robots was born. So that is the science behind why this game is so scary, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though we know it's not real. Right. So what happens in the game? A fucking lot. First of all, there are nine of them. And the story just snowballs with each one. So we'll just start. Well, I'm just going to give you a basic principle so you can link the two to the story. In the game, you are a nighttime employee. Usually it is referred to as like you're a security guard. You're in the security office with all your little screens and switches and stuff. This particular pizza robot establishment has a little issue. And that is that its animatronics come alive overnight. And then they start being rather unsavory to anyone they might encounter. They try to, you know, like, I don't know, hurt people a whole lot. Mm. And so it's your job to watch after them and make sure they don't do that or, like, escape, I guess. Yeah, that would be a problem. Yeah, I don't know what the hell you did to get assigned this horrible job, but that is on you and your choices. Right, right. I mean, it's probably the only job you could find. It could be. So now here they we are. Find. Yeah, now, yeah. They're in, now they're sitting there looking at haunted animatronics. Maybe it's really good money. Maybe it's good health care. You would you have know? to pay really well if you told someone your job this you didn't fool them either. You're like, this is your job, and the person's like, yeah, okay, okay, I, I could die. It's My fine. children need need this money from could me. Could be. My wife needs to get her nails done every week so badly. So yeah. I'm gonna let this bunny maybe eat me. Yeah, who knows? So basically, you simply have to survive to win. It's like any other survival game. We've talked about Slenderman before. That's a similar concept. Um, but they don't make it easy, and they really, 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 really would prefer that you be dead. Why? Well, there certainly are answers, but if we stop here, this situation resembles a very real event. So we're talking about basically the first half of the first Freddy game. In some ways, it will also continue to mirror this event, but you do have to know everything up until this point for it to make any sense in any meaningful way. So I'm going to stop here and tell you about the real Pizza Robot Restaurant House of Horrors before we finish up with a lightning round of nightmare-inducing Freddy lore with the help of a real live youth. Oh, that's right. We have a surprise guest this week, and you're going to love him. No, it isn't Flynn. That would be mean. This one can handle it. <laughs> I just pictured saying that and people being like, is she going to bring on her eight-year-old? <laughs> it was just like, it's 
scary and I hate it. If he's like just Bye. crying, I'm like, yeah. what's, what's, why is this game scary? And he's like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I am not doing that. It's therapeutic. No. So anyway, over to the, the real event. In May of 1993, a 19-year-old man, which is an oxymoron because I don't think you're a man at 19, but legally you are, named Nathan Jared Dunlap, began working at the Aurora, Colorado Chuck E. Cheese. So, Leslie, before we get further into this, can you tell us just maybe a couple things about 1993 to set the stage? Uh, sure. Okay. Perfect. So, the number one song was Dream Lover by Mariah Carey. Yes! So uh, some of the most popular TV shows were 60 Minutes, mm. Home Improvement, Seinfeld, Roseanne. Um, Coach was also on there. I forgot about Coach. Oh, yeah, that show. Mm-hmm. Movies to watch included Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Sleepless in Seattle. All and Free equally as fun in the same way. I know. All great. <laughs> it was like one from each category. I felt like they... all these fun movies. <laughs> also Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Um, fun fact. Is it about Schindler's List? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so Steven Spielberg. That's him. He took a film class. I forget exactly what the film class was, but it was something to just help him like... Sure study something but he got like a bachelor's degree in it and so when you're but, steven spielberg you're like i'll just get the whole degree i'll just get the whole degree mm-hmm. so he uh finished this class and his final project he handed in schindler's list as like a representation of whatever that class was about how do you how are you anybody else in that class you're probably like well fuck me all right yeah. i quit you clearly have got this i'm gonna yeah. go do something else for sure um, I also just realized how young I was when Jurassic Park came out. So I was only five oh at this my. point. And I know that I watched it with my brother. We rented it. So yep. it had to have come out from Blockbuster. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I might have been like six or seven. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching this movie and for years being terrified of like an irrational fear of a dinosaur attacking me in a bathroom stall. I'm so glad that never happened. I know. But I thought it was like a horror movie for the longest time. Well, it kind of was. For like that age, yeah. too. You Plus know, it's so like, scary. It, it does have elements of a scary. horror movie. I there's a lot like, of ooh, death in it and bloodiness. Little jump scares yeah. and stuff. Absolutely. Also in Free Willy with the oil spill. Ugh. I have to think about that oil spill and like trapping whales beneath the ocean. Oh, my God. Like a couple times a month. You know, that whale is also an animatronic. Yes. It's unsettling to see it on a stick in videos. <laughs> Oh, that would be really creepy. It's fine in the movies. It's great. It's a charming looking animatronic. It doesn't look scary, but yeah. it's like mounted on a stick and stuff. Oh, that's really Because it's huge. Yeah, yeah, Huge. Yeah. It's like the biggest one ever made. Wild. Mm-hmm. All right. So Sony Walkmans were very trendy. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Brandon Lee was accidentally murdered on the movie set for The Crow mm. this year. Women were forbidden to wear pants on the floor of Congress until 1993. Let him wear some pants. I know. Well, these two women in Congress came to work in pants and were like, we are not getting off this floor until you change this rule. They Leslie noped the situation. They sure did. Perfect. A writer by the name of Lisa Holt created an article in 1993 that around eight spiders crawl into your mouth every year whilst you sleep. I think it's whilst. Whilst. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Whilst. I'm going to go with whilst. Go with whilst. They waltz while you sleep. They waltz while you sleep. (laughs) Yeah, they're dancing spiders. Yes, that's adorable. See, I made it better. Right into your mouth for you to swallow. They waltz right (laughs) down your throat. We all just thought, oh, that's a fact forever. 
Yeah, I know. We were like, okay, yep, cool. I believe it. It's not. That's not true. No, she not. just made that up. So I only learned that like a couple years ago. Yeah. So the majority of my life. Oh, me too. I was like, I'm yeah. going to eat A spiders. And I still I hear people it. say that. Yeah. Like, well, we swallow so many. No, you don't. Get over I it. I used to go to bed with like, okay, just keep your mouth shut. I used to put the covers up over yeah. my mouth so they couldn't get in. I know. It's fucking Lisa. Anyway. I'm glad I know who to blame. Yeah, right? And Holly, yes. guess who dropped out of high school to work full-time and did not graduate until 1993 when he obtained his GED? It wasn't Steven Spielberg. Who was it? Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. And founded Wendy's. Yep. Way to go, Dave Thomas. The Barbie Liberation Organization challenged gender stereotypes by switching the voice boxes of hundreds of Barbies and G.I. Joe dolls and did like a reverse shoplifting by... Oh, that's um, fun. Yeah. So <gasps> they like put them all back in the retail stores and the Barbies would yell, eat lead, Cobra. <laughs> while G.I. Joes would ask, want to go shopping? I wish I had those dots. I know, right? That's so fun. I'm so sad that like I, I know. don't know one. And then I'll end here because we are Jersey centric. Totally. When the film Clerks by Kevin Smith was first screened at the independent feature film market, only 12 people showed up, including Kevin himself and seven people from the cast and crew and two random people. Those two people must be like, we are so smart. Yeah, they're like, we're diehards. Yeah. We were here from the beginning. They're probably so snooty. Maybe. Or maybe they were so stoned and they don't remember. Yeah, like, they're just like, what did we do in 1993? Oh, no. we saw that movie. <laughs> Kevin's been trying to reach out to them. It's like, I get it, bro. It's fine. You're just like, oh, if only we knew Kevin Smith. You do. Yeah, weird. We you do. Yeah. You forgot. He's trying to meet you. That's right. There you go. Yeah, so those are my 1993 facts. Um, 1993 was a good year. I remember 1993 mm -hmm. very well. But Nathan, who we are talking about, was a very troubled young man. So to go back in time a little bit, set us up. He was born on April 8th, 1974, and raised by his biological mother and adoptive father. And now I know most people's brain goes, oh, the father's probably terrible. No, not this time. The father's good. In his early childhood, Nathan moved around a lot, and his family lived in Chicago, Memphis, somewhere in Michigan, and then landed in Colorado. Location wasn't the only unstable thing about Nathan's childhood, though. His mother was diagnosed with both schizophrenia and bipolar disorder at one time or another. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're usually not going to have both. So, But they did this. Two separate doctors obviously gave her two separate diagnoses. Yeah. It wasn't somebody going, you probably have both. Um, but both of them ran in her family. And both disorders are pretty genetically passed down. So that's why they just kind of thought maybe it was one or the other. Um, and also, she frequently exhibited symptoms of psychosis, which is a symptom, can be a symptom of both disorders. So Nathan's mother was kind of abusive and pretty absent um, and also hypersexualized by her illness. So while there is no evidence that she took this feeling out on Nathan, he did see her wandering around the house completely naked a lot, just like talking nonsense, which I imagine as a kid is not great to see your mom doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Because of his mother's state, which was eventually nailed down as bipolar disorder with symptoms of hypomania, especially when she would go unmedicated for large periods of time. This is much like our previous subject, Elisa Lamb. Mm -hmm. So when she goes unmedicated, she could go on these spells where she is basically blacked out and doesn't know what she's doing. 
Um, and all of this turbulence didn't go completely unnoticed. And Nathan did experience various stays in foster care um, in between time with his mother and occasionally other family members. This kind of gives you a, a turbulent background, you can see. That, and then at least twice during his junior high school years, Nathan attempted suicide. So he's not a happy kid, which we can understand why. When Nathan was 14, his adoptive father talked to the school. Uh, he went to Overland High School and he talked to the school psychologist and asked him to evaluate Nathan. He said, listen, he is, I know his mother has these problems and I think he's manic at times and I would like you to evaluate him. So good on the dad. Totally. Right. And they, they did test him and they did find signs of hypomania, but then they didn't give him a formal diagnosis or any treatment. <laughs> but as all of our listeners know by now, bipolar disorder is extremely genetically translated. So not translated, transferred. Sorry. So while this is just awful, it's not medically surprising. Mm -hmm. None of us are like, what? No, like clearly. But Nathan should have had interventions implemented then and there, but he didn't. So things obviously escalated. By the age of 15, Nathan had committed several armed robberies, first by using a golf club, and then he moved on to firearms. He spent time incarcerated at a juvenile detention center, and due to an erratic episode, he was then sent on to a psychiatric hospital. So great, they probably help him there, right? Yeah. Wrong. Yep. You see, at this time, doctors thought that kids could not be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. They said, you can't have it as a kid. You have to be an adult, oh. which we know now is not true. So they thought Nathan was depressed, sure. And um, maybe he struggled with oppositional defiant disorder, which we have talked about before and people love to throw around like candy. And they believed at that time, and some schools of thought, thought still do believe that you grow out of oppositional defiant disorder. So they were like, all right, well, he doesn't like authority and he's depressed sometimes, but he, he's going to be all right and he'll grow out of the other one. So yet again, they let him go without any medical intervention or treatment. Okay. When he was released, again, with stone, no steady medical interventions in place or medical professionals monitoring him. So nobody was even checking in with him. They just let him go. Mm. He began selling drugs, which is not even the worst of the things by any means. Nathan was arrested five times on misdemeanor offenses in 1993 alone. And in February of that year, he began to exhibit some rather psychosis indicating attachments to religious ideation. Now, a lot of times when people get real stuck on religion, that is, if you're reading a story about somebody who um, has schizophrenia, that is a huge indication. So adoptive dad is again like, mm -hmm, something going on. And yet somehow this young man managed to get hired at Chuck E. Cheese. Boy. And his background is not just he went to some hospitals. He has an arrest record and time in juvenile yeah. hall. The only thing I can think of is that he's 19, and so his juvenile record may have been expunged. Okay. But I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, because that would be a weird place to... But this says he had five arrests on misdemeanor offenses in 1993, which means that they were after the age of 18. So he has an arrest record. Yeah, and so then to be working at a, a place with kids. At a restaurant. I know. Yeah, he was hired at Chuck E. Cheese. You know, where a kid can be a kid. <laughs> that jingle has just lived rent-free in my head mm -hmm. this whole week. Every time I say something awful or I think about how scary some of these things are, I'm like, where a kid can be a kid. I love it. 
Um, but this is common in the early 90s because jingles were very catchy back then. Yeah. And I don't think they make jingles like they used to. Right? No, like, I always think about that. Do you happen yeah. to know maybe any more examples of this? I'm kind of in the mood for it now. Yeah, I I can just jingle it up. I feel like you can. All right. <laughs> One of my favorites. I wish they could have watched you just like sit up and prepare for that. You were like almost yeah. like cracking your neck and getting I'm ready. I'm like ready for this, <laughs> Let's man. go. They're so good. Okay. All right, so I have a couple of really good, uh, like, game ones. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Crossfire, you'll get caught up in the crossfire. crossfire. Uh, you'll get caught up in the crossfire. Uh, crossfire, crossfire, crossfire. Yes. Crossfire, you'll get caught up in it. Oh, boy. <laughs> you have passed the money note at the end. Good I job. Um, I used to think... Until today, mm-hmm. I thought that song said, Crossfire, you'll get caught up in love. And I used to be like, why? I thought it was you can count on the. Yeah, no. <laughs> you'll get caught up in the. And I was like, why are they getting caught up in love? I thought it was like, you can count on it. It's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, this next one, I have no idea how it ends. So I'm going to tell you how I think it ends. Okay. Okay. Start with the sticks. Like so, making a pit where the marbles go. Oh, yeah. You don't want those marbles? No, not at all. Pick a stick, but don't let them fall, because if it goes kerplunk, yes, up. I have no idea what they say at the end. <laughs> I've tried to find lyrics, so I just, yes, up. That's what it sounds like okay. they're saying. Feel yeah. free to interpret kerplunk. Oh, my kerplunk. God. Is that the game with, like, the wet tissue? Oh, I don't know. Or that was it, Don't Break the Ice. Don't Sorry. Break the Ice. It's a oh, similar concept yes. where you had to, like, have a damp tissue. <laughs> what a gross. Whose brain was like, at home, take a tissue and wet it. Yeah. As part of a game we're selling. Yeah. No. No. Not happening. Terrible. It's a zany action, a crazy contraption. The fun is catching mousetrap. Love a mousetrap. Yeah, that was a good one. Takes five hours to set up. Yeah. One hour to play. Then yeah. you're devastated because you have to do it again. Yeah, for sure. And that little shoe <laughs> never does its job. No. Ugh. Oh, my gosh. I know that was always a boring one. I didn't play that that often. My kids have it somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they used to love it. And then they would get frustrated for the same reason. Yeah. Because then you'd be like, I just would, like want to make my own mousetrap. Yeah. It also has to be like perfectly level and the thing mm-hmm. has to work right. You can't play it on a bed. Yeah. Which we always tried to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. They look like babies. It's baby bottle pop. Baby bottle pop. Just lick the pop, <laughs> dip it and shake it. And lick it again. It's baby bottle pop. Baby bottle pop. <laughs> In this day and age, you all have COVID. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> How We used to think that was so creepy. I didn't like them. Just lick the pop, dip it, and shake it. Gross. And then lick it again. No, I will not. And it's just a bunch of teenage boys, like, singing it to girls. Ugh. I hate it. All right. Ready, Holly? So I still ready. sing this one. I hope it's the one I think it all is. All the time. I have I have two more that are good. Okay. Okay. This has two verses. Okay. 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 Pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. When pizza's on a bagel, you can eat pizza every time. Pizza during prime time, anytime's the right time. Pizza going down so fine. When pizza's on a bagel, you can eat pizza anytime. Yes. Pizza bagels are very popular in my yeah. house. And then, oh. This one, I like this one because it's like a little kid voice. Cool. I am stuck 
on Band-Aid brand because Band-Aid stuck on me. I like that one, too. I am stuck on Band-Aid brand because germs don't stick on me. Woo! <laughs> and if you have a baby bottle pop, they absolutely do. They do. They sure do. They're disgusting. It doesn't matter what comes. Fresh grows better in life. <laughs> With Pentos Fresh, a fool of life. Nothing gets to you. Staying fresh, staying cool. With Mentos Fresh and full of life. Fresh goes better with Mentos Freshness. Fresh goes better with Mentos Fresh and full of life. Mentos, the fresh maker. Sometimes the commercial didn't have the bridge in it. It was only the short version. And then you were like, but I don't. I was singing it. And now, (laughs) fuck. It was like when TV shows like cut it down, like the episode is long, so they cut the like yeah. theme song down. I was always like, why is Bull House just like, nah? I know. And you're so like, mad. Okay, I'm not there yet. I like that they do it now on Netflix. Yeah. But not when I'm only watching the program once, it, once yeah, a week. Yeah, then I want to hear it. I tune in every day to hear step by step. Play me the jingle. <laughs> God damn it. I know. Oh, damn. Which one did you want me to sing? Creepy crawlers. Oh, that no. That was my favorite I forgot one. about that one. You made the little, like, gummy books. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. There's so many good ones, though. Yeah. Those were fun. So, yeah, Chuck E. Cheese, where a kid, be, kid can be a kid, fit right into those. I know, but that was, like, so short. There there were other, like, longer ones. Yeah, there definitely were. But that's the little hook Where that would can be a kid. stick in your head. Yeah. It was always at the end of the commercial. Yeah. So, um... It was always a sad commercial, too. Like, the kid was so depressed. <laughs> well... Just, like, riding his, like, little tyke bike by himself. <clears throat> and then they'd bring him, and you're like, oh, but now he just gets weird. They and, Oh, they would, like, switch it from him riding, like, a little tyke bike to being in, like, one of the... Like, um, oscillating rocket ships yeah, or whatever. Or something, yeah. it, but it still kind of looks sad. He's sitting there, like, <laughs> yeah. moving from side to side. Yeah. And then eating the pizza. Or and you're like, that doesn't look great. No, those Discovery Zone tunnels that they had. Yeah. Too, which was like I a love germ maze. Discovery Zone. I know. Discovery Zone was good. That was good. Um, so I know we talk about pizza a lot at Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. But do you know what was really good there? No, because I never went. Oh. So, well, we didn't go that often. But uh, their wings were great. Were they? Yeah, I remember my brother and I would be like, hey, our friend's kids are going to Chuck E. Cheese. We're going to go with them. We're going to get wings. You know, to this date, and my kids have been to a couple birthdays at a Chuck E. Cheese, but it happened to be when I wasn't taking them, Will was. I've never been inside a Chuck E. Cheese. Oh. Never one time in my life. You don't need to. I know. (laughs) I truly don't. It's really sad. It's fine. Yeah. I don't. My parents also were always like, Holly, those places are filthy. We're not going mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Because I was always like, Discovery Zone, DZ, Discovery Zone. And they're like, no, you're not going to mm-hmm. crawl through somebody else's vomit. And I was like, oh. <laughs> but I'm happy to, Mom. All right. <laughs> and I never got to go. Oh, so bummer. Probably I didn't, you know, get hand, foot, and mouth and some neuroviruses yeah. because of... <laughs> probably. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> anyway, that All was right. fun. So, so back, what's this case about? Back to 19 <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. So okay. back to 1993. Um, in July, just over two months, uh, after just over two months of employment, Nathan was fired after a disagreement he had with his supervisor over scheduled hours. Mm. Probably for the best, considering I don't know that he should have been hired there in the first place. Right. So he wasn't there long? No, he was there for like two months. Okay. Uh, Nathan's friends, and I use the friend's the term friends loosely, they were more like acquaintances or people who had just gone to school with him. They said he was um, pretty vocally frustrated over getting fired. He talked about it a lot. 
and openly. And he even told a former coworker that he planned to, quote, get even for, uh, for getting fired. He's like, I'm going to mm. get even with them. Not a great look. And even he got. But as things so often go, Nathan took out his problems on people who had nothing to do with them whatsoever. Mm. Which uh, is not revenge by definition. That is That is not revenge. Revenge isn't okay either, but this isn't it. Mm-hmm. You know, these people did nothing. So five five months go by. So he's fired in July. Oh. Then in December, he decides, so he didn't get over it in that amount of time. Normally, yeah. you'd get over being fired after two months employment at a Chuck E. Cheese, but he didn't. Um, so on December 14th, 1993, Nathan entered his former place of employment at 9 o'clock p.m. This is just an hour before closing. Kind of a weird time for an adult alone to walk into a Chuck E. Cheese. He ordered a ham and cheese sandwich and then played an arcane game for a little while. And then at 9.50, he went into the men's restroom and hid until the restaurant closed. Mm. After the doors were locked at approximately 10.05, he exited the restroom and then shot five employees with a 25 caliber semi-automatic pistol. Oh, wow. Right. So locked doors. They're all locked, kind of locked in at this point. They probably all had to exit out one place, I'm assuming. Innocent employees running from a crazed killer after the place closes, and they're running through a Chuck E. Cheese, which has these spooky deactivated animatronics sitting in it. I mean, you can see the resemblance to the game, right? Like, it's right there. And the goal of the game is to get away from the things chasing you through this Chuck E. Cheese after hours. Yeah. That's a comparison that a lot of people very clearly can see. So first, this this is how the event went. Nathan snuck out of the bathroom, and found um, a 19-year-old woman named Sylvia Crowell. She was cleaning the salad bar, and mm-hmm. he walked up to her and shot her at close range in the right ear, Ooh. which killed, well, she died right. of it later, yeah. but, you know. Next, so he's just walking through the place looking for people, too. Yeah. He's just, and, oh, like, sneaking, so, I can like, again, yeah. exactly Ugh. the same as the gameplay, where you're kind of sneaking around and, like, looking at stuff. So he's just trying to, like, who am I going to run into? People are cleaning up. There's going to be like five people on staff that are there to close. And he knows. No, I'm sorry. This gun is like a, like, is there a silencer? Or can no, they I'll get to this? that in a minute. I'll get oh, to that in a minute. Okay. So next he snuck up on 17-year-old Ben Grant, who was vacuuming. So he didn't hear anything. Mm. This is like a big industrial vacuum. And if he's across the room, and there's more explanation on this later, but he he wouldn't have heard him coming up behind him either. Yeah. Nathan then snuck up behind him and shot Ben near the left eye, killing him instantly. Then he came upon 17-year-old Colleen O'Connor, and she knew what was happening. She had heard the gunshots and, like, seen stuff happen, so she got on her knees and begged for her life. But Nathan did not care and fatally shot her once through the top of the head. Mm -hmm. Next, Nathan found 20-year-old Bobby Stevens in the kitchen, who, as it turns out, is the only person who actually survived this incident. So there is a survivor. Bobby had been outside smoking a cigarette while the other shootings had occurred. He heard the pops, but he thought they were his co-workers popping leftover balloons that had been left over by a birthday party, mm. which balloon pops were very common there. They were a sound they heard yeah. all the time. So even if you were vacuuming and you heard a pop, you wouldn't necessarily be alarmed by it because you're in a place that's full of balloons all the time. Right. So they didn't really turn around and look for the source of the sound, even if they heard it, Um, except for the last girl who like knew what was going on because she could, you know, they're screaming and stuff or whatever. So after Bobby has his cigarette, he went back inside 
and started just like loading utensils into the dishwasher. He's just doing his job. And Nathan happened to then make his progress through the building because he's just systematically going through the building and killing Mm -hmm. anybody he encounters. So he goes into the kitchen and he sees Bobby. He fires the gun at him and hits Bobby straight in the jaw. Bobby drops to the floor and looks dead. But he is not. He is playing dead. Yeah. Which fucking good on Bobby because it saved his life. Mm -hmm. So then Nathan kept going. He found the store manager, 50-year-old Marge Kohlberg, and forced her at gunpoint to unlock the safe. After she opened it, Nathan shot her in the ear, which is awful, but she didn't die. And she was still moving, so Nathan knew she didn't die. He then went to the safe, took some cash out, paused, saw Marge still moving, shot her in the other ear, which killed her, and then moved on. And if you think Marge was the one who fired Nathan, well, think again. That manager wasn't even working that day. He wasn't even in the building. Nobody in that building had had any kind of altercation with Nathan ever. In fact, some of them probably didn't even work with him. He worked there for two months, five months ago. Right. I'm imagining when you're 17, 19 years old, there's a lot of turnover in people. And they might have been working there for the holidays to make money to buy gifts. Yeah. So, yeah. Then Nathan went and stole a bunch of game tokens, which I'll never truly understand. You think you're going to go back into a Chuck E. Cheese after this? Yeah. And his haul, money and gain tokens, added up to about $1,500, so he didn't really take a lot. And then he left. Meanwhile, Bobby, who is not dead, escapes through a back door and walks to the nearby Mill Pond apartment complex where he picked a door, pounded on it, just was looking for anybody, and told them that he and several other people had been shot over at the Chuck E. Cheese. They call the damn cops and authorities or, you know, notified, whatever. Bobby is an amazing badass, and all Chuck E. Cheese's should have just been renamed Bobby Stevens's right then and there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Would be so classy. I know, Bobby Like Stevens's. a steakhouse mm-hmm. with the video games. And pizza rats. Yeah. Yikes. Mm-hmm. So Bobby was hospitalized after this at Denver General Hospital. He was in fair condition when they got him. I mean, he was shot in the jaw, but he lived just fine. As authorities arrived on the scene, they found two bodies in the restaurant's hallway, a third in the room off the hallway, and a fourth in the manager's office. Sylvia Crowell, so the first victim who was cleaning the salad bar, was sent to Denver General Hospital, where she was declared brain dead. She died from her injuries the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nathan fled the scene, like I said, with just like $1,500 of petty cash and game tokens, and he was arrested at his mother's apartment just 12 hours later. Because it was 1993, not 1893, and security cameras were a thing. Right. That's how we know what time he ordered a sandwich and went to the bathroom. It's all there. You'd think an employee would know that. Yeah, but I guess that just speaks to, like, his mental health issues. Exactly. The legal situation that ensued after the killing was wild, but has no bearing or similarity to the game. So I'm going to give you all the, like, wiki rundown on it just to finish it up for you. Basically, Nathan was constantly very poorly behaved, screaming and ranting when his lawyers would um, repeatedly appeal with an insanity plea. But the court system really wanted to give him the death penalty, but the government really wanted to stop killing people. So here's what happened. That's just to prepare you for it. Nathan was found guilty on four counts of first-degree murder, attempted murder, robbery, and burglary in 1996. Those are big charges. First degree is very premeditated. On May 17th of that year, Nathan was sentenced to death. So first trial sentenced to death and an additional 108 years. So we're going to kill you and then you have to do 108 years in prison. Okay. You're not getting out of anything. During his sentencing, Nathan just sat there and 
swore and spat and tried to get up. He was just like screaming profanities at people. There's there's video and pictures of this. He is all off his rocker in these trials. Oh, and his last outburst was burst was just three minutes of swearing in a court of law. He's not doing himself any favors. In 2008, Nathan filed a habeas corpus petition with the court arguing that his trial attorney was ineffective by not presenting a defense on his mental health issue and child abuse. So his defense attorney did not plead insanity or say that he had a history of being abused and that's why he murdered people in a Chuck E. Cheese. So in August of 2010, this federal appeal was rejected and senior U.S. District Judge John L. Cain wrote that Nathan was fairly tried, competently represented, and justi- justifiably sentenced to death. Okay, so back back to where we were, right? Then on April 16th of 2012, the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals denied Nathan's appeal of his death sentence. Nathan's lawyers argued before the 10th Circuit that Nathan's trial lawyers were negligent during the sentencing by not providing evidence that Nathan suffers from a mental illness, which none of us are going to argue that he does. They argued that if the jurors had heard evidence of Nathan's mental illness, it w- they would have spared Nathan from being sentenced to death. Okay. So on May 1st, 2013, Judge William Sylvester announced that the execution date for Nathan would be in mid-August of 2013. But on May 22nd, 2013, Nathan's execution was put on hold as Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, the funnest name ever, decided against executing Nathan or granting him clemency and instead signed a temporary reprieve. The reprieve meant that as long as Hickenlooper was governor, Nathan would not likely be executed. According to Hickenlooper, one of the reasons that he did not choose full clemency was because Nathan would have to remain segregated from the rest of the prison population. Groups, including the NAACP, contacted Hickenlooper requesting the sparing of Nathan's life, arguing that the death penalty is disproportionately imposed on African Americans and Hispanics, which we're also not going to argue. The reprieve also meant that unless a governor issues a new executive order, the status of the execution and clemency request remain on hold. Hickenlooper was constitutionally limited from running for a third term. On November 6, 2018, so still going, Jared Polis was elected governor, and during the campaign, Polis said he intended to sign a bill repealing the death penalty in Chicago. Regarding Nathan Dunlap's case, Polis said that he had no problem following the current law and that he did not think it was appropriate to comment on a specific case during a campaign before actually becoming governor and reviewing the case to make an informed decision. So, on March 23, 2020, Polis signed a bill repealing the death penalty. Polis also commuted the sentences for all three men on death row, including Nathan Dunlap, to life without the possibility of parole. Okay. So eventually he ended up with life, but like the kind of life where you're not, you're not getting out during your natural life. Mm -hmm. We're never letting you out. But for a while, he was sentenced to death. Right. And he behaved very poorly all of the time. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of prison altercations too. Yeah. Then nine years after the shooting and just 10 miles away from where it happened, James Holmes, also 19 years old, I believe, walked into a midnight showing of The Dark Knight at the Century Movie Theater dressed in tactical clothing. James set off tear gas grenades and shot into the audience with multiple firearms. Twelve people were killed and 70 other were injured. Fifty-eight of the injuries were from gunfire. At the time, the event was the largest mass shooting in the United States and the deadliest shooting in just Colorado 
since the Columbine High School massacre in 1999. So you know what, Indiana? You're safe. I'm no longer afraid of your corn-fed serial killers. I'm staying out of Colorado. Yeah. God damn. You know, that movie theater one I think about every time I'm in a movie theater. That is haunting. Yeah. I hate that I, like, I go into a movie theater, sit down, and the first thing I think about is, okay, where are the exits? exits, And then, okay, I'm going to be aware if anybody gets up real fast or comes through, and then I could just, like, get down and act dead. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. God damn. I hate that I think that. I do, too. No wonder Colorado was the first to get that legal weed. Everyone needed to chill the fuck out. They were like, we have to relax. We need to, guys. I'm so stressed out. Yeah, exactly. So there's your true story. And now we'll we'll talk about some, like, extra Five Nights at Freddy's stuff just for fun. But you can see how an event like that lines up pretty directly with the gameplay in this game. Yeah. So while they're never going to say, oh, yeah, there was a shooting at a Chuck E. Cheese. And we were like, hmm, what if you were running away from the animatronics instead? Because that's mm-hmm. scarier. It It is widely regarded as something that could have influenced them to create the game. So Right. Yeah. It's interesting because it's not, I mean, if where the game creator was coming from, mm-hmm. like he, a game he had already created was said to have had this weird uncanny valley yeah. thing yeah. and then it looked like an animatronic. And he's like, okay, well, it looks like an animatronic. And it doesn't, it's not too far off for somebody to just imagine like right. being stuck in one of right. these places and having to like, yeah, like, oh, these things are coming alive because that's not a weird story to tell. Right. That's, you know, we that happened, you know, Toy Story. Yeah. Like, it's not weird. And that's like a fear people have. Like, what if they're real? Like, mm-hmm. Madame Tussauds, what if they all come to life oh, inside? God, I don't want to think of yeah. that. So it's like I could see how easily he yeah. can also get away from being like, no, I just, it's just a coincidence. Yeah. It's it's predominantly the gameplay. So, yeah, it's a very interesting parallel. It's something interesting to think about. It's also something that I think about when people are playing this game. Are there people that have ever been affected by that kind of a situation? Is it something that triggers them to be like, oh, my God, I know someone who was, like, stuck somewhere and, and actually running for their life? Because mass shootings are such a real thing in our country now. Mm-hmm. There's something that happens so often. Is that is that kind of event, what does that do to some people? Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't really know. And also, there's another parallel. We'll get into this with our guest in a few minutes. I don't really talk about it too much. But we find out later on that the animals um, come to life because they have, like, the trapped souls of murdered children in them. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I so knew it that, gets yeah. very dark. Yeah. But also, the the shooting was dealing with someone who was a very abused and troubled child mm-hmm. who was then going after adults. And I believe there are... Um, there, I don't know for sure, but I I think in some of the plot lines, the animals don't go after kids. They only go after adults. So if there are children characters, unless it's like kids that were specifically bullied by them or something, they're not as quick to go after them. Mm-hmm. I believe. I could be wrong. But Oh, that probably, that sounds right. It sounds like something in they'd have to put in the, the game. one of the nine games. <laughs> yeah. So they're not like just killing children nonstop. Yeah. yeah. They're very smart about that when they do actually, I believe, like have kids mm-hmm. die. It's like an 8-bit thing. You don't see like a very detailed child murder. It's in like an 8-bit game. Yeah. So it looks like the original Mario Brothers or something. <laughs> and like I just said, if you want to extrapolate more, you can. Mm-hmm. It's there because this guy has this very troubled past and he does this extremely like awful thing. But anyway, 
the based on a true story-ness of it all is there. So back to the game. In Five Nights at Freddy's, the goal is to survive the night, which I suppose is was the same in this situation. Bobby Stevens did it. So that's another thing. We do have a survivor. We do have someone who played the game and won. Mm-hmm. Laid down and pretend he was dead. Then he ran out the back door. The sure mm-hmm. is winning. So sad. It is sad. So, but you're supposed to survive your trials and tribulations and not let the nightmares win, right? Well, yes, at first, but that's not even a fraction of the Five Nights at Freddy's plot. They really keep going. And what are the nightmares? In case you're wondering, because I was. These are your animatronic guides for the duration. Obviously, we have Freddy, the ring-leading top-hatted bear, and his friends are Bonnie the bunny, Chica the chicken, and Foxy the pirate fox. Uh, Foxy gets a character. I, I don't know why everybody else doesn't. So as the games progress, the characters also become spookier because you've already seen them. They were already scary. You got to like up the ante every time. So in one of them, they look like abandoned animatronics, like the kind you might see in like, I don't know, our Instagram posts or any others. So they have that like their fur is like hanging off and they look like they've been like left out in the rain for a long time, which is double unsettling. Mm -hmm. Uh, In one version, they're in a haunted attraction. Yep. Which that will also play on on fears and, and, you know, nervousness that a lot of people have associated with that. And so they're like ghosts. You only deal with one animatronic and the rest of them are just specters that come at you. And in the latest version of it, their tech has been drastically updated so like a kid can sit inside them and pilot them. Mm. Which means you can then have a kid who is either a hero or not. Right. I don't, I honestly don't know. But to me that says like, oh, now you have someone culpable for some of these things. So someone is doing it. Mm -hmm. So the player also, that's you, will periodically receive a telephone voice message from a veteran worker of the location. And now I'm adding this because I find it frightening. The messages are a tutorial for the player describing several gameplay mechanics and outlining the location's backstory. So this is how you learn how to play the game from a disembodied telephone voice that just comes in. Right. Ew. That's so creepy. Yeah. I like, I just feel like the designers of this game had a lot of really genius. I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but like the psychology of it is like pretty much a perfect algorithm to scare you. Mm -hmm. It's like everything that makes your brain go, oh, that's not quite right is in there. So you're just uneasy no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's very interesting to me. The game also has a really rabid fan base, which happened because it's very um, fun to watch. So YouTubers latched onto it. And then the YouTube videos of gameplay were extremely popular because, again, it's Mm story-based. It's not like someone playing Minecraft for hours or whatever. You're you're sitting there on the edge of your seat waiting for the next thing to happen. You want to know the answer to this riddle they're telling you. And that's how it spread. Also very smart. So fans and YouTubers and all these people have created a huge universe of fan art, fiction, theories, videos, literature, and more there is three novels out now and there's a movie being made so like it really caught on hard and I I blame some of that on the fact that it is a perfect formula so we thought who better to fill you in on the rest of the five nights at freddy lore highlights than an actual fan yes so leslie take it away all right Hi, fiends. I am here with my son. <clears throat> I mean, we would be dead youth correspondent, Christopher Cadity. Chris, how are you today? Feeling very youthful and corresponding. Perfect. That's what we needed. So we know why we are here right now. We want to get into the nitty gritty of Five Nights of Freddy or FNAF. Huh? Huh? 
he is looking very embarrassed right now. Okay, so I have several questions for you, and we are going to do it in like a speed round kind of form. So I'm going to ask you a question, and you just need to answer to the best of your knowledge in the shortest amount of time you can. And if you're taking too long or I get bored, I'll just cut you off to go to the next one. Cool? Dang, but okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Holly already gave us the basic premise of the game, but what we really want to know is, why are all the characters so mad? Basically, the essential plot is they think you're the person who killed them and put them in the suits. So they're trying to get revenge on you when actually you're not the person. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I would be mad too. So when you're playing the game, whose perspective is the game from? It changes a little bit, but usually you are the murderer's family, usually his son. Okay, that makes sense. What what does he do for a living or she? So mainly he's going around to each of the locations and signing up to be a security guard so he can kind of pick up the pieces and figure out what happened and try to make it right. Okay, so he's just trying to fix things. Yeah, he's he's essentially trying to fix his father's mistakes and mistakes that he caused too. Ugh, all right, sounds good. And this one's like a two-parter because I feel they may go together. Were you ever scared of the game? And why is Five Nights at Freddy one of your favorite games now? As a child or well, younger child, I was terrified of these games. But it's one of those things where you're so terrified of it that you love it. And I loved it because of like how complicated the lore got and the community that went around with it. Like all of, It's very much that kind of feeling of playground, all the kids going around with rumors trying to figure things out, you know. It was a very, very community kind of led game. I like that too. Okay, last question. What devices does the game use to scare you? Usually it's very fear of the unknown. You don't usually know at first what they're doing, what their goal is, um, what they're going to do when they get you. And it's also a thing of you're put into a immediate survival situation so that you kind of psych yourself out and kind of freak yourself out as you're trying to survive this. This game sounds so interesting. I think I might start playing it. So I know there are nine games, three books and a movie coming out. Are the books legit? Well, it matters what books you're talking about because there's actually like 20 now because there are the main three books and then they made like a goosebumps kind of thing. The three main books are pretty fun. They're pretty good for the lore and stuff like that. And they have some pretty scary elements. The Goosebumps books are a bag unto themselves because they try to use metaphors to explain the lore, but that um, sometimes results in the weirdest stories you could ever imagine that has nothing to do with regular FNAF. So that's the nicest way I've heard anybody put that because on the internet, it's not kind. <laughs> so my last question for you, Chris, what excites you most about the new Five Nights at Freddy movie coming out? Well, we were all very skeptical of it at first because the first pitch of the movie was maybe like five years ago now. But they moved to Blumhouse, which is a pretty looked up to 
movie company generally, and they have the Henson company working on the actual suits and stuff, which should be really cool. I think getting like the Kermit company to make like creepy looking like humanoid things would be really cool. So I th- I think that I think it's going to be pretty good actually. I'm actually pretty excited now. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be good cuz Blumhouse did Sinister and some of those really I don't know, they just had some really good movies coming out almost like uh A24's production company as well and uh Jim anything Henson related is amazing. So that should actually be a good movie. I'd go see it with you. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I hope you would consider doing this with us again. And I love you. She, she's staring. I, I love you. I love you. She's staring at me. Help me. All right. Back to you, Holly. Well, that was something. <laughs> that was great. I love having a youth correspondent. I, me too. I, we haven't really tapped into the youths just yet. And we yeah. do have access to them we occasionally. Have, yeah, we really do. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that was fun. All right. So I hope I gave you guys enough true story base and enough fantastical craziness to complete this episode. Let's uh, have a toast. Okay. Toast to uh, Bobby. Yes, Bobby Stevens. Mm-hmm. Badass survivor. All Chuck E. Cheese's should be Bobby Stevens Steakhouse now. Cheers, Bobby. Mm. I mean, to all the rest of the victims in the Chuck E. Cheese massacre. Yes. They did, had no idea what was coming. That was awful. I know. To those victims and their families. I know. How Terrible. horrifying. Yeah. To our guest. Oh, yes. Our, the cutest. Thank you, Christopher. That was wonderful. <laughs> He's going to hate that. <laughs> I hope that he loves it. He's not even a little embarrassed right no. now. <laughs> Whatever you're famous. So handsome. (laughs) (laughs) Give him a toast. Toast. There we go. And if we were trapped in an abandoned Chuck E. Cheese in the middle of the night with only our stupid friends and a camera, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Where a kid can be a kid. <laughs>